1: Welcome to episode 45 of the SJP Wrestling Podcast. And despite being uh, 45 episodes in, um, we are going to have a first this week. We're going to go back and take a look at our, our first TNA pay-per-view since the SJP Wrestling Podcast started. Um, today's guest, Sian King Cage of Evolution Wrestling, selected a TNA pay-per-view to go and have a look back on well, and i was over the moon when he made that suggestion i watched a great deal of tna here in the uk when it was available on bravo and challenge and various other stations uh, really enjoyed the product for quite a few years so we really, i was really looking forward to going back and uh, revisiting some of these events um sean and i have also already decided that we're going to go back and do a few more so if you have any suggestions or preferences to eras of tna certain events of tna or impact wrestling uh, certain matches or, or, or whatever you'd like us to take a look at by all means please do reach out to the show at sjp wrestling pod on twitter facebook and instagram let us know what you'd like to hear and Sean and I will take a look at it for you. Um, whilst I have your attention for these quick few minutes, however, I wanted to divert you towards my other show, uh, Chain Wrestling, that I do with my good buddy Mags um, at Podfather Mags on Twitter. Um, we're still getting absolutely brilliant feedback on the show and I thank everybody who who listens to both my shows and sends me feedback on them. Um, If you're not listening to Chain Wrestling as yet, just just give it a try. Dip your toe and see what you think. It's quite a light-hearted um, look at some silly wrestling as well as a non wrestling topic that everyone sort of gets involved with on Twitter and online. And we have a bit of a laugh and a joke about different things each week. I really enjoy recording the show and I I hope anyone listening enjoys hearing it back. Um, That is all from me today, though. Um, I hope you really enjoy listening to Sean Kranz and I. Look back on Lockdown 2009 from TNA when we had Mike Tanay on commentary, Sting and Mick Foley in the main event and so on. Um, I enjoyed looking back on this pay-per-view and I'm already looking forward to to doing some more as well. Um, Yeah, so that's that for me today. I hope you enjoy the show and as always, thank you for listening.
0: Hello, brother. This is NWA, WCW Enhancement Talent,
1: Randy Hogan, baby. Being in the ring with the Road Warriors, Vader, Abdul the Butcher, Midnight Express and all them guys. Let me tell you, it was dang rough. But not as rough as listening to Cy and on that
0: chain wrestling show, brother. What you gonna do when this pair of
1: fools, Cy, Mags and chain wrestling, brother, runs wild on you, evolution wrestling's sean grant how are we doing sir very well thank you very much enjoying the sun pleasure to be back yeah no thank you very very much for coming back um it's what for oh, several well many many weeks isn't it since we uh had our first chat um about yeah, your yeah. your career and your entry into evolution wrestling and so on i suppose oh, you may that was go- during the
0: first lockdown
1: Yes, it was. Yes, um, I suppose you're going through. I suppose a bit of a restart now, potentially. I mean, how how are things going on that front? I mean, are, are you back training yet? How how are things working out with Evolution at the moment?
0: Uh, yes, we are. Yeah, we're doing. We're doing. Obviously, we've got to be COVID safe and everything. Yeah, of course. But yeah. we are. We are slowly getting back into uh, training again, and it. Mate, it's just such a pleasure to be back. More than anything else
1: yeah i bet i bet especially when it's something you've done for a certain amount of time and it's always that thing isn't it absence you know makes the heart grow fonder and if it's something you enjoy you're you're gonna miss it aren't you i guess so oh yeah just even just hanging out with all the boys and
0: girls again and just it's just so nice it feels like a bit of normality again
1: yeah yeah i get Hi, right. okay, so um, the reason we have you back today my friend is that we're going to go and take a look back at uh, an old pay-per-view, a, a sort of older event um, and just sort of run through the show and have a chat about, about what we watched and what we can remember first time round and so on. Um, it's quite interesting to be honest, I mean the SJP Wrestling Podcast, uh, we're into you know 40 plus episodes now we're fast approaching being around for uh close to a year um in sort of i don't know a couple of months time it would be a whole year that we've been going we've never once covered a single tna event which so t- today I'm, I'm i'm quite excited about this because it's something new for me to look at as well um why exactly was it that y- you picked this pay-per-view was there a reason that this one jumped out at you um, well,
0: I was, I was, well, how do I put this? I was watching TNA, um, when WWE was having their sort of weird period. I think they were transferring into the PG era and everything was just a bit sort of on the rocks. I mean, a bit like Rory's now, to be
1: honest, <laughs> shambles. I don't, um, think it's on, I, I don't think it's just on the rocks. I think it's literally ran ashore and it's now <laughs> an absolute wreck, isn't it? So...
0: Um, but yeah, I was, I've always, cause I was an old WCW boy. So I, uh, I saw sting was part of TNA and I, uh, I saw Kurt Angle had recently just moved over. So I thought, oh, I'll check, I'll check this out. And there was a point where I was watching more TNA stuff than I was watching WWE stuff because it was just, they were putting out a better product at the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's, it's, I, I rewatched the show um with my wife in the room she sort of half watched her half was doing her own thing um but it started off a conversation between the wife and i about tna uh back in that era when you used to get it on initially when i first came across it i think it was on bravo the tv yeah, station I,
0: I first found it on bravo
1: yeah and then it kind of transitioned on to a challenge for a bit didn't it and then yeah there's a small window where we lost it in the UK and then it came back somewhere, maybe five or five stars. I, I don't know. But um, going back to those Bravo days when when Impact was shown on Bravo and then Challenge TV, to the majority of households in the UK, for those unaware, th- you, you can pick those up on a freeview box. You, you can pick those channels up without having to pay uh, a subscription like you would for our sports channels sky sports which show wwe programming um challenge and bravo you could pick up for for virtually nothing in majority of houses yeah they were just so readily available yeah exactly so i mean i I came across it literally just skimming through the channels and just came across some wrestling oh great i'll watch this then um, and straight away, I was hooked. Um, I can't remember who was on screen, but it was the the, the six-sided ring. Um, Mike Taney, of course, was on commentary, and I remember him from the WCW days. So straight away, there was a familiar voice there. And then we're seeing guys like Jeff Jarrett turn up. Um, R-Truth was an early champion there as well. Like Shamrock was on one of the earlier shows. Um, so it kind of hooked me in straight away. And I totally agree with you. And my wife said the same thing. For, for quite a while, we didn't watch Raw on SmackDown. No, yeah. TNA was was our wrestling.
0: It was just unwatchable back then, Raw and SmackDown. And, I mean, all all these fans sort of following WWE up until sort of 2005, 2006, sort of, they needed something, they needed a change. A bit like, it's kind of a little bit like how AEW burst onto the scene, I think, is that they, everyone was just clamouring for an alternative, and yeah, TNA okay. provided that.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, it, is, it has got to a stage with WWE where, I, again, I'm, I'm back to the point where I'm not watching the weekly television. Um, no. I watch the pay-per-views purely because I know the, the roster there is, is still full of talent, and I would expect there to be, in a three- or four-hour pay-per-view, I would expect there to be some decent wrestling for me to watch at some point on that show. Um, But yeah, AEW is my weekly TV. Again, mainly because my little girl watches it with me and that's become our thing. But the fact that she doesn't watch WWE television every week I think shows how far certain aspects of it have fallen. Don't get me wrong, SmackDown at the moment, I I see clips online and I sort of keep up to date through the WWE's Twitter and Facebook and so on. Um, SmackDown at the moment, Roman Reigns and that that whole storyline, they're doing some fantastic stuff. But Raw... I just, I just can't understand what's going on. Oh, it, it's it, it's it awful. quite literally unwatchable. Yeah, maybe when crowds come back properly, I'll add something that uh, can try and bring it in, back in the right direction. Potentially, I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, um, it,
0: I don't know. It's hard. To, it's hard to say because, I mean, it's it's been on a steady decline for quite a while now, and I think fans are smart enough now that when they come back I am not I'm very interested to see their reactions on who who they cheer and who they boo for because WWE have a very set in mind as to who we should be cheering for and who we shouldn't but you give live live crowds live crowds will tell you exactly what's going on
1: yeah I think that is going to be very interesting um because we've had obviously people um Reacting via the screens, I guess, at the Thunderdome. But even then, they're told, now you cheer, now you don't, sort of yeah. thing. Um, as a friend of mine got on the the Thunderdome for an episode of Raw, and that's literally what they were told. They were told, when this happens, you cheer, and this happens, you don't. And if you, if you don't abide by that, so they removed you from the screen. Um, and the piped-in crowd noise. So they're getting now... Vincent Marm love it, because he's getting the reactions he wants. But I totally agree with you. It's going to be really interesting when you see... Uh, real fans back in the arena. I mean, is Drew McIntyre going to continue to be cheered? I kind of hope so because I like McIntyre. But some of the stuff you read online, he's not as popular as he was, say, 12 months ago. Um, Orton... What are people going to re- how are people going to react to him after his silliness with the fiend uh, the fiend fiend himself? There's so many people now saying we're sick of this, but then on the other side of the coin, it's it's a big part of WWE TV. I think I think you're right. It's going to be incredibly interesting to see which way they go, isn't it? Ah, 100. I might
0: first first crowd back on Raw. I think I'm I'm definitely going to be watching that Raw.
1: Yeah, it's like isn't it the 17th or something like that? Where they start in Texas with SmackDown, and then they sort of they go off on like a tour for a, a few months. They've got booked up. Yeah, I, th- I think it's something like that. That SmackDown's going to be fantastic. I think they're going to
0: pull all the stops out for that SmackDown.
1: Yeah, uh, and and the issue as well, I suppose, with the whole pandemic and travel and certain people not just not wanting to go to work for WWE. I guess you're noticing little changes happening now with the like Brock Lesnar, for example. He was listed in the alumni section of the WWE website for the last couple of months. He's just moved, been, been moved back into an active wrestler section. So obviously he's returning soon. So I think you're right when you talk about putting out all the stops. You're going to see people that maybe we haven't seen during the pandemic era that could, could potentially help them with the, the quality of their television there, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I've also heard rumors of Cena returning as well. Yeah, I mean, Cena reigns is is sort of mentioned online a bit in certain circles for SummerSlam. I'd be all about seeing that. um I went for a big spell. I'm not liking John Cena, but I'll be honest with you. I I look back now at certain matches, and I think he he's probably better than I gave him credit for. I didn't I didn't like the way he was just constantly shoved down our throats, the same way he Reigns yeah, was it, for quite a while and so on. But. Yeah,
0: that's that was the main problem. But because I've said this to a couple of mates as well, as soon as he left. You notice the gap that he left, mm-hmm. and yeah. like the the pure star power that
1: he kind of he well he had really, yeah, yeah. definitely. And I don't think there are many stars of that level anymore. I think mean, Cena potentially is the last, the last WWE big time draw potentially. You, obviously lesnar is a big draw but he's made his name in ufc and stuff elsewhere as well and so on but like the last real wrestler draw that sort of came around organically through wwe television alone i think oh, yeah. it's John cena. I don't think i don't think anyone since cena has got to that level because they've not been allowed to with the, with the whole they win for a couple of weeks and they're booked to lose for a couple of weeks and and so on it just it's, it's baffling but but there we go um Let's jump in our little uh, time machine, then, shall we, and head back to our 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 topic today. Um, Sean and I are going to be looking at the TNA Wrestling pay per view, Lockdown from 2009. Initially broadcast on April the nineteenth, 2009, it was airing from Philadelphia. So very much. Prominently ECW country, I guess, um, from the Lycoris Centre, I believe, is how you pronounce that. Um, I think
0: the, so. I'm not really 100% sure on how you actually pronounce that statement. Nah.
1: No, they just kept referring to it as Philadelphia, didn't they? Trying to hammer home the ECW links, I guess. Yeah. Um, and they have listed as being 4,500 in attendance. Um, lockdown pay-per-views... <sighs> it ran for quite a few years it was quite stable for TNA wrestling um, when, and, and you know it was dubbed the whole six sides of steel because they have the six sided ring uh, I suppose my question here Sean, is twofold um, firstly a big part of Impact and its, its uniqueness was the six sided ring um, what were your thoughts on that as a whole and secondly um, a pay-per-view where every match is a cage match what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, for the Six Sided Ring I think was it was such a difference to everything that you knew about wrestling rings and it just it had its own sort of spectacle star power to me mm-hmm. when I was younger. When I first sort of tuned into TNA, I thought, Oh my god, it's a six sided ring, this has gotta be mint And I mean it was, but I've also seen videos of AJ Styles talking about it and he said it was it was possibly the hardest ring he's ever landed in because of just all the steel beams that you had to do to make the six sides
1: yeah yeah there's a moment as well um during this pay-per-view i think it's during the match that has lax in it where somebody does get um lifted relatively high and then slammed down to the canvas but the camera is very low down, trying to get a certain angle thereafter, I guess. And you see first hand there. And then even for someone such as myself, who's who's not, you know, as clued up on these things, you see the very little give in the canvas yeah, was, when they there hit was that. no mat. give in that ring. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which, which I suppose, you know, it's not ideal, is it? Um, what are your thoughts on the six sides of steel then, I suppose, as it's, as it's dubbed here? A, a pay-per-view with cage matches all the way through.
0: I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to not compare it to hell in a cell pay-per-view now, but where quite literally 75% of the pay-per-view is someone in the hell in a cell. Um, yeah. Like there were, there were matches here, which obviously didn't need to be in cage matches. But if you're running a pay-per-view, you kind of have to kind of have to double down. Don't you really on all
1: of this? Yeah, I mean, for for me, it's kind of, I I suppose I'm going to contradict myself a touch here, but bear with me. Um, For me, it's kind of, it's very unique. I think it's a very marketable, um, marketable idea. You know, every match is a cage match, six sides of steel, the pay-per-view name being locked down. Um, I mean, that's very marketable. It's very memorable. It sticks in your head. However, I agree with you with regards to similarities to the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view where this, this lockdown pay-per-view is happening in April so every match is kind of pigeonholed or crowbarred into being a cage match whether it requires the cage as part of the storyline or not similar to Hell in a Cell now um, which I think takes away a bit of the sheen at touch. And I mean, as we run through the matches in a moment, I'll, I'll explain when I sort of checked out a little bit as well. Once you get so many matches in it's difficult to, I suppose, it's difficult for the wrestlers to set themselves aside from it's matches that to have keep happened previously. Fresh, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it tends to be a lot of the same. I guess it's kind of my thoughts, really. Um,
0: yeah, no, I I do definitely agree with that. Uh, if I do remember correctly, though, back before when it was called lockdown, it was known as Lethal Lockdown. Just and the whole pay per view was centered around the Lethal Lockdown match, which. We will, we will get into later, but the whole pay-per-view was centred around that one big match, which is, I think, the, personally, the way to do this. Not to just spam cage matches at everyone, just because yeah. it's named that.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm scanning quickly back now just to uh, just have a look. I'm as far back now as 2006, 2007, sorry, 2005. 2005 was the first um so 2005 right up until our show 2009 every match on a lockdown pay-per-view was in a cage so it may have been afterwards they sort of made that oh, situation essentially but yeah that was very much the theme of the pay-per-view but the lethal lockdown is something i did on the whole enjoy because again it's something very unique and different but we'll get to that as we uh, as we run through the show i think um When the show starts, we kind of get a—I don't know how you'd word it, whether whether it's called a cold open or or whatever. You kind of almost get like a little bit of footage before the the show intro, don't you? With lethal lockdown teams arriving, Um, you get the Dudleys stood on the steps in Philadelphia, out with the public. Um, I think those are the steps that were used in Rocky, weren't they? Is that the right place? Yes, they are. Yeah, yeah. Um, Talking about Philadelphia, ECW. Um, and some of the iwgp tag titles over their shoulders and then we get into the intro for the show and i really liked this i felt it's not i think sometimes you get companies that haven't got the production values or the money wwe has who try and do this huge extravagant video package and it just comes off as a bit naff whereas tna here it's quite dark and edgy and they haven't sort of tried to do too much with it i think and you've got um the current i suppose owner and president of the nwa billy corgan singing the intro song for his band Smashing pumpkins um, the, the arena looks great the crowd's sound fantastic the graphics look great i thought the intro was 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 spot on i really enjoyed that
0: yeah the intro did everything that it needed to to get you sort of hyped and ready for the show i i couldn't agree more with what you said
1: yeah, and and it's good to see again. You have to bear with me as as we go through this show because I watched a lot of TNA way back when, but I've not revisited any of it to to, to any degree. Maybe the odd match here and there, but it's very much a case of I enjoyed it at the time, but that was sort of that. Um, so there's going to be things that I remember that sort of popped up throughout this show, um, and again, one of them Mike Taney on commentary. I think this guy's fantastic. I thought he was great in WCW. I think he's excellent as the main uh play-by-play guy here. So seeing him at the start of the show, straight away I was like, oh, that's great. Mike today's commentating. Um and then we got straight into the X Division. Uh, and instantly I just I just had this warm fuzzy feeling because I used to love the X Division matches, you know. Oh yeah. The the ulti- uh, ultimate X match was always just
0: a great watch no matter who was in it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that's some of the stunts and I mean, you listen to say Bruce Pritchard, for example, when he talks about TNA and he says nobody could ever explain to him about what the X division actually was. There was no weight limit. There was no style sort of indicator or anything like that. It was just, always the X division. And he kind of mocks them a bit for it from when he used to work back in TNA at one stage. I think maybe Mr. Pritchard kind of Misses the point a little bit. I think it is kind of like a mindset. A kind of, I mean, you look at everyone who held that X Division title up until when TNA started getting a bit daft and you know, kind of effectively going out of business at one stage and so on. The, the matches were all of a of a very good standard, a very high flying, technical, certain type of style to the matches, um, and there was just so much talent in that division, and. I used to look forward to this probably more than some of the main event matches. Oh, yeah, 100%. Because you had people like Christopher
0: Daniels and AJ Styles and Samoa Joe, who were big sort of prominent uh, names in the X Division back then. And, I mean, the matches they would put on would just, they would draw you in. But there was there was a point later on in this pay-per-view where they, Mike Tenet brought up the he likened the x division to the iwgp like junior heavyweights and right, yep. i couldn't think of a more perfect sort of comparison and explanation of what the x division was yeah. because it was it was essentially what you would see in new japan the sort of junior heavyweights um out there making a name for themselves
1: yeah i think so. i i can see sort of some similarities there definitely i suppose the biggest um separator between the two is uh, uh, the weight limit that the, the new japan titles have a weight limit whereas the x division didn't but the style I, I can see where you're coming from yeah totally um in this x division match obviously we're inside the the six ty- sides of steel uh, we have jay lethal who comes out to effectively a macho man tribute act isn't it black, machismo, oh, black Machi- it, i so.
0: love black machismo i honestly
1: i can't get enough of jay lethal yeah, I mean, it, he did a brilliant Ric Flair impression that everyone's probably seen online as well. Ah, oh, um, the, the Ric Flair woo-off
0: is yes. possibly one of the funniest moments in TNA's history. Yeah,
1: absolutely superb. It's you seen... two
0: men just screaming woo down a microphone, <laughs> and it's Ric Flair being Ric Flair. Like, <laughs> what what is there not to love?
1: Have you seen the footage of I think Flair's at a signing, and it's he's he's a bit older at this point because he's he doesn't seem um uh, well, he doesn't seem as with it, shall we say, but Jay Lethal's there as well goes over to the table and he cuts a promo as Rick Flair to Rick Flair, and Rick Flair is just grinning and laughing and clapping his hands and just loving it and Jay yeah. Lethal sounds more like Rick Flair than Rick flair does yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have seen that i so, I can't believe Jay Lethal has not been snapped up by WWE at some point in his career.
1: I would. Like, Jay Lethal say...
0: was possibly the hottest thing on the indies and through TNA and Ring of Honor, and I can't believe they haven't thrown so much money at him.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would say that uh, his size, I would imagine, for a certain time period, anyway, maybe. Not as much now with the advent of NXT and so on. But I think for a while his size would have potentially gone against him. Um, And also, maybe he was offered some level of money at some stage and turned it down. Because he was making a good living for TNA. He was getting well paid at TNA. He was getting well paid at Ring of Honor. So perhaps that suited him more. I don't know. But I agree with you. The guy is so charismatic. Um and there's so much so much to him and in Ring as well, he can he can really go. I really understand oh, really yeah. the whenever I see him wrestle. So I am with you on that one, yeah.
0: But um, yeah, like especially as black, like Black Machismo seems like it was built for WWE. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like it would there's no way you would not get a like a favorable crowd reaction out of him.
1: Yeah, yeah, but then I suppose you look at some of the guys they've released recently, um, you kind of think, well, they should should have more of those, which makes you wonder what's happened there, I guess, doesn't it? But there we go. I mean, I don't know if the ship's now sailed for Jay Lethal. I don't know if it's if his chance would ever come, but uh, he's obviously made himself a good living doing what he's doing elsewhere. So, so fair play to the guy. Um, oh, yeah. Credit, all credit to him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a bit of an odd stipulation for this match here and it's something you'll notice as we go through the show they're all cage matches as we keep coming back to and we're probably going to end up keep saying all the way through this episode they are all cage matches but they sort of tinker with the rules for each one i suppose trying to set them aside a little bit and sometimes it yeah, works.
0: they're all a bit sometimes
1: wacky aren't they yeah yeah some of them work some don't uh this one you have the aforementioned jay lethal um a guy who i can't remember at all called kayoshi um and then a guy obviously that we know very well, consequences Creed, sorry, who went on to be Xavier Woods in WWE. Um, the champion Suicide, defending his X Division title, and Sheikh Bashir, who at one stage was associated with Muhammad Hassan in the WWE. Yeah, um, Sean Davari. That's right, yeah, that's his name. Yeah, I couldn't remember his real name off the top of my head there. That's right. Um Suicide as a gimmick, you couldn't get away with that night, could you? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> the but... name, they're putting the gun to his head and pretending to speak himself. <laughs> I was watching it thinking, how was this ever okay?
0: <laughs> Do you know how suicide came about to be an actual thing, though? Go on, I, I, I probably have heard, but jog my memory. So TNA had their own their own wrestling game, and the story was that you were this... You were this big wrestler um, called Suicide, and you you got jumped after an event and beaten up to the point where you got amnesia. Because I mean, it's TNA; you've got to have some sort of wacky story in there. Right, and the whole story is you sort of making your way back up through the ranks and slowly remembering who you are, and that's that. I think to promote the game, they actually brought in the character of Suicide.
1: Okay, so what, this was like a PlayStation or an Xbox game or something like that? Yeah,
0: this was a, it was a PS3 game
1: back in the day. No, I, I did not know that at all then. That's that's completely new to me. Well, oh, fantastic. Ah, it's, it's, actually, how games it's actually and stuff, not it? a bad game, to be honest. Okay. It's good uh, fun. Okay. I'll have to sort of see if I We've still got a PlayStation 3 knocking around here somewhere. I'll have to see if I can. Uh, oh, I bet you can pick it up for pennies at this point. Yeah, probably. probably. I'm not a big gamer, but my kids have all got computers and so on, so maybe I'll have a little look at that with them. Um, something that really tickles me about this match as well, the very, very beginning, and you've got to look out for it if you ever watch it back. And oh, and incidentally to anyone listening, um, obviously all TNA pay-per-views and shows are available on Impact Plus, and for, I've, look, I've looked into Impact Plus and, and the, the options that you have on there. There were so many great matches and shows from yesteryear it's worth the money. However, this pay-per-view Sean and I are covering today is actually available in full on YouTube. If you literally just type in TNA Lockdown 2009, you'll find the whole show. So yeah, that's, they've uh, recently
0: done this with quite a few of their old pay-per-views. They're just all for free up on YouTube.
1: Which is great, if you can tolerate the adverts oh. popping up. And Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's great. Yeah, definitely. Um, Something you notice when you watch this back uh, at the very beginning, you've got to sort of kind of look out for it. Um, The lights go out and then they come back on and Suicide's in the ring and the match starts and Suicide is still wearing his X-Division championship. Um, And there's a few drop kicks thrown, a few moves here and there. Literally maybe 90 seconds in, not very long at all, um, Suicide takes the belt off. And then he doesn't quite know what to do with it. And he's kind of looking around thinking, okay, well, where do I put the belt? Because they're in this cage and it's all locked up. So he decides, sod it, and he just shoves it to the referee. The referee does, bear in mind, the match is now going on around the referee. The referee then does the whole um, showing it to the crowd above his head. And then he's in the same situation as Suicide, where he doesn't, quite, <laughs> he doesn't quite know where to put the belt either. And he's kind of looking around. With the, as I said, the match is going on around him at this stage. The referee's just got the belt in his hands, looking completely lost. It's fantastic. <laughs> in the end, the cameraman reaches in and just grabs it off him. It's, it's, it's so funny. Um, I, d- I did notice this, because I was going to mention it if you didn't. But yeah, it
0: is, it is quite funny to watch the ref's perplexed face, just like, uh, where do I put this belt? yeah
1: he was he was completely lost it was awesome (laughs) um there's a few cool spots in here that i really enjoyed there's a sort of press slam bulldog combo between creed and lethal at one stage yeah they Um, were they
0: were a fantastic tag team
1: yeah they they tagged for quite a while didn't they was it um what was the name of the uh Uh, lethal consequences that's it, it yes such
0: a such a great name
1: yeah, yeah, and it really worked as well. Both of them very charismatic and uh, similar height, similar styles, I guess. Um, yeah, really, really worked. Really good tag team. It's a shame they didn't do more with. I suppose, but sometimes these things don't work out as we hope. I guess. Um, th- the stipulation to this match is it's well, it's pinfall or submission to eliminate down to there being only two mem- two team sorry two wrestlers left. And then that is escape from the ring, um, which is a little bit convoluted for me. But I suppose you can't have all the same rules all the way through, as as we mentioned previously. There's quite a few, like I said, cool spots, cool moments that happen. We come down to suicide and and oh, the name escapes me. Uh, Divari, isn't it? Sorry. Yeah. The, the the sheer... That's right. Yeah. Yeah. As the last. Who? Well, I didn't actually expect to be in the final, to be honest. I, I, I couldn't remember who wins this and this is the beauty of watching this pay-per-view back for, for today's show I I couldn't remember so much about this event no so
0: I didn't either. I could remember a couple like the main event and the lockdown right uh, there was a lot of there's a lot of this pay-per-view where uh, it was just nice to watch it again because I'd completely forgotten this even happened
1: yeah exactly so I was watching it back and you know, I'm literally at one stage when I'm making my notes for the show um the ladies match that will come to you shortly i'm writing down the competitors as we go along because i don't know who's coming out the curtain next because i've not looked to the show up because i didn't want effect even though i've seen it before decades ago it would effectively give me spoilers and i was enjoying watching it not knowing what happened so suicide i did kind of anticipate would be in the last two but yeah, Sheik. Uh, I'm not. I'm not quite sure about that. Whether he was getting a big push at the time, we um, get yeah, a cool spot there as well, though, don't we? With uh, <laughs> Sheik gets thrown to the cage by Suicide, uh, literally just to bounce him into the metal, as you see quite often. But he turns it into a drop kick to open part of the cage up and then try and escape. I quite enjoyed that. I, yeah, I thought that was such a smart little, smart little tactic to use
0: because yeah I mean if you're gonna get thrown in why not try and use it to your advantage?
1: yeah it makes sense, doesn't it? The finish ultimately comes from suicide uh he climbs to the top of the top of the cage effectively I was supposed to drop down onto people on the outside of the cage who are, are, are just milling around for whatever reason and um, <laughs> uh he drops down off the top of the cage, which is a very, very tall cage. To be fair, it's almost square. This thing, with the height of the cage compared to the width. And yeah, I don't know if it was just the camera angles, but it definitely looked
0: like higher than most like
1: standard WWE cages. I think it well. I and mean, when you look at um, the match we'll see later on with uh, Abyss and Matt Morgan, I mean these are two massive giant men um and the cage still looks very very big so i think it was literally just that tall you know it was it was quite a quite a construction quite a drop yeah definitely so when you see suicide here for the finish diving off the top and taking out everyone underneath that obviously then means he retains his title because he's escaped the cage it's quite a spectacular sight seeing him come down off the top like that um how did you enjoy this opener overall then uh overall i thought it was it was quite a good opener
0: i mean it got you got you all sort of hyped up, but the X-Vision usually tends to do that. Um, the finish I... The finish I can't really make my mind up on, to be honest. Okay. Because um, it did essentially fall down to a distraction finish in my eyes, where, like, Kiyoshi comes out, tries to help Bashir, because I think they're part of a stable at that point. I could never remember the name of it. But I think they were... So he comes down to try and help him, and then A load of security guards come out and you just see them all milling around. You think, oh, our suicide's diving off this, isn't he?
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's something that I've got quite a pet peeve about with, with AEW, how people sort of stand and mill around and so on. I don't understand why people can't be... I suppose a little bit more convincing when selling yeah, something. Don't make or, it look so obvious. Yeah, not, don't just stand there with your arms out like waiting. It's it's not a good look. Um, I quite enjoyed it as well. I, I agree with you. It did its job as an opener, got the crowd going and so on. And it led into our next match, which had a couple of people I haven't seen or even thought of in a long, long time. Oh, um, good, yeah. This was the Queen of the Cage match, as they called it. And it was a four-way between the excellent ODB I've totally forgot about ODB she was brilliant what a gimmick that last half oh my god yeah
0: she was such a staple of the knockouts division yeah yeah definitely and while while we're talking about the knockouts division I have to I have to credit that entire division because they really paved the way for women's wrestling in my eyes like apart from all the great stuff that was happening on in Japan for mainstream American wrestling TNA had possibly the best women's division at the time
1: yeah definitely again this is something that i was speaking to the wife about um as this show was on and, I, and well, to be honest my wife sharon she was the one who brought it up she said the women's division back then was just fantastic wasn't it and i was like well yeah it was it, it was it was awesome and it's frustrating from my standpoint and also several people online who were involved with tna gail kim being the most prominent one who get frustrated when you see the WWE Stephanie McMahon and the like banging on about how they have they basically think they invented women's wrestling and they've had the Women's Revolution and blah de blah de, blah TNA were doing it. God, as oh, years TNA before. were doing
0: it years before. Yeah,
1: yeah. And they had the likes of Gail Kim and so on in on their roster in WWE and just stuck her in her underwear and didn't let her wrestle. So it, it serves them right. But there we go. Yeah, the Queen of the Cage match. We had ODB, as we mentioned. Uh, Daphne, who was the Scream Queen from WCW. Uh, uh, fantastic seeing her. I didn't expect to see her on this show. Um, Madison Rain as well, who was one of the beautiful people at one stage. Just a, a, a stable I, I loved. I thought they were great. What um, I didn't really know anything about, though, was uh, Sojo Bolt. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah
0: God. She's, a, she's a very forgettable person. Which I mean it sounds mean when I say it, but it's just kind of the truth. Like she her ring style's very forgettable, her gimmicks very forgettable, like all her matches are very, very forgettable. Yeah. She just she was just sort of there.
1: <laughs> I, I I guess, yeah. I mean she was she sort of knocked around um plenty of promotions for a few years without eventually getting a big deal anywhere, I suppose. I mean, she wrestled for OVW, which was a WWE, uh, feeder territory for quite a while. She held their title, uh, quite a few times. She wrestled for TNA, obviously, as we're seeing here, she ended up back at OVW. Um, she eventually started up her own company, uh, roughly eight, seven, eight years ago, maybe. Um, so she's still around, she made a bit of money out of the business. Fair play to her. But yeah, I didn't remember her whatsoever. um, The Queen of the Cage match is a 1-4 contest. It goes just a smidge over six minutes. Um, My issue with this, I suppose, primarily, is we've just seen a multi-person match, and then straight away we have another multi-person match. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I
0: did have the same sort of vibes as you. Like, we'd just seen a five-man match, and then we're thrown straight into a Fatal 4-way again. And it just... (sighs) I don't want to rag on this match too much because I just I don't like being mean on the internet. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes sense. But I mean, this this match was a lot of stop and start where people weren't really sure what they were doing or who to go after or. And like it felt longer than six minutes. I don't know if you had that as well.
1: Yeah, and I think this is going to be a bit of a reoccurring theme with some of the matches that we discuss in that they felt longer than they actually were uh, and not from a good standpoint. They, they literally felt like they dragged at times, I guess. Um, yeah. There's a few moments that I did enjoy. We have a great-looking suplex with a net bridge by Daphne right at the very beginning. Um, the ref misses it, though, uh, and she has to hold it for a while shouting before the referee goes over and can Oh uh, Yeah, yeah
0: she, she's had at least a 6-7 count out of that. Yeah, exactly. And the ref's got no
1: idea. The match would have been over after 40 seconds. Oh, yeah, 100%. And <laughs> everyone um, just left her to it as well, yeah. which I thought was hilarious. Um, there's a... A slingshot, or I suppose a double slingshot, where people take one leg each of ODB and fire her into the cage, and she hit that cage with, with some pace and bouncing back off and hitting the mat as well. She was bumping around like a lunatic here.
0: Oh, yeah. She she was definitely the standout in this match for me.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I think looking at the, the people in that, at this time frame, looking at the people in that contest, um, ODB winning made sense. Madison Rain wasn't quite up to the level where she was going to be in a year or two. Um, We already spoken about Miss Bolt and Daphne was more of a character, I suppose, as opposed to someone they wanted to push towards any form of women's championship and so on. So ODB winning made complete sense. I thought this was average at best, if I'm honest. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've got to agree with that. It was, it, it left,
0: Sort of more to be desired from what I'd just seen, really.
1: Yeah. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, our next match is another title match. And it surprised me, again, because I, I, I've not looked at the card before we've watched, before I've watched the show back. We actually have the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Titles being f- from New Japan being defended on this show. And the holders are the Motor City Machine Guns, um, and they defeat LAX, which was Hernandez and Homicide. And then they also defeat a team called No Limit with a guy called Yujiro um, and his partner, uh, Naito. I don't know what ever happened to him. <laughs> yeah, obviously that's Tetsui Naito who ends up in in New Japan and does fairly well for himself. Um, I, I Again, I, I really enjoyed this because I'm a big fan of the Motor City Machine Guns and seeing Naito before... Sort of, sort of pre-Tranquilo Naito, I guess, is, it, it was a treat as well. I didn't expect to see Naito when I pressed play no, on
0: a CNA, it meant. I completely forgot a Naito was even in this match.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, uh, I mean, Homicide, I, I can take it or leave it with him, really. But Hernandez, I always thought, had a great look, could do things in the ring that a bloke his size maybe has had no real right to. He was always, you know there or thereabouts with regards to title scene. Um, This goes around 11 minutes or so. Um, This was one of the matches where I actually thought I could have done an extra couple of minutes.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. I felt this match just fell a little short of what I sort of wanted
1: from it. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like um, the middle section of the match. I think it's quite... You can follow it along with crowd reactions, I guess. The middle section of the match seems dead. It just the crowd are responding to nothing, and it seems in a bit of a lull. But then towards the end of the match, we've got the Seat machine guns performing several great double team moves. Um, for example, we have uh, a, a one one guy being drop kicked off his partner's shoulders and so on. So it's almost like a precursor to what you might see from some young bucks matches now, but. Maybe moves that make a little bit more sense, I guess. Um, I really enjoyed seeing the motorcycling machine guns again because I've got fond memories of that team. But it wasn't until the end that the crowd sort of really got involved, I suppose. And when the guns win, the, the crowd react well to that. But the big issue I had with that was they they have an aerial shot of the guns hitting their finisher, and there's people led around the ring. And obviously the ring is hexagonal, so there's no real place for you to go and hide anywhere. It's almost a circle. And everyone is very, very close to where the pinfall's happening, looking right at it, and just don't react. And that kind of took me out of the moment for a second, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, I I do know what you mean. Um, yeah, the machine guns hit this slice bread powerbomb combo on Naito, which, to be honest, I thought it looked fantastic. Yes. as a As a double-team finisher, but... Yeah, there were there were people a lot closer than personally I would have been uh, if it was the three count pinfall. Really, yeah. But and then I, again, you did, like you do have six men in this match, so spaces is a little bit limited.
1: Yeah, that's one of the notes I've got actually. That there's not a great deal of space in there because all it's not tagging in or out. All six men are in the ring at the same time, so you do get as you have done with the previous two matches. I guess you get a lot of. People sitting around, waiting for their moment, um, which can be a bit frustrating. But you can turn a blind eye to it because of the nature of the match. But when you get into the third match of the pay-per-view, and you've had that in all of the opening three matches, you kind of think, "Mm, okay, we've had a multi-person match in the opener, a multi-person match in the second contest, a multi-person match in the third match. And you're seeing a lot of the same breaking up of pinfalls. People sat around waiting for their moment. That kind of frustrated me a touch. But also, you mentioned there the the size of the ring and the amount of people in it. My first thought straight away wasn't about this contest. My first first thought straight away was the lethal lockdown match later that would have even more people in it.
0: Yes. Yeah, now, you do notice that there are a lot of just... There's not enough room. It it just seems like there's not enough room at all for all these men. But I found, I don't know if you found it, but with this match, I found that I didn't really mind that this was our third multi-man match of the night. Whereas, like, on the previous match before where I was like, well, another multi-man person matched, I, I thought we could go for a singles match or something like this for the second this this didn't really bother me too much because they all just they all went for it and Supermax Big Hernandez was just throwing people around in that match. <laughs> yes. Was it he a, does a this, shoulder he does barge this, or something? Yeah, he just this big pants to save it and
1: quite honestly, I thought Saban was going through that cage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he hit it with some force, didn't he? That's really interesting you say that with regards to the multi-person matches. In that, in the second match, you were like, okay, could we have had a singles contest? But the third match, which in theory, with that mindset, should frustrate you more because it's more of the same. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so they must have done a, a good job in sort of distracting you from that, I suppose.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I definitely think so. I don't know if you noticed this as well, but there was a point where Hernandez had Chris Sabin, and he throws him over the back of him, like from straight up, and he hits Sabin hits the cage upside down, and it looks like he just comes straight down on the top of his head. I remember him going into the cage upside down. Yes, I, look, um, it looked brutal. I thought yeah. Sabin might have been knocked out from this. Well,
1: but he manages to recover quite well. Yeah, I mean, I think is with Saban as well, he he, he, I mean, he ended up having a, a world title run, didn't he, as a singles competitor at yes, one stage, indeed, when, they were, yeah. when they were trying different things. And I just remember him always in his matches, obviously because of his size, he, he kind of tended to play the underdog very well, I think. And with that comes getting beaten up i guess so he would bump and bounce all over the place and i remember quite often looking at how he would take certain bumps and the way he'd be thrown into certain things thinking my god he must be genuinely hurt here but then he was okay so i suppose it's a testament to how talented this guy actually was
0: oh yeah a 100 percent. he he knew how to make people look good
1: mm. yeah definitely um ultimately the guns retain their new japan uh junior heavyweight titles um it seemed to just sort of cut off quick when it was potentially getting going i guess but not yeah, in all, I there was it. more to come yeah yeah definitely, definitely. And I, didn't, I, mean,
0: I didn't expect naito to take the pin as well
1: well i math. suppose i suppose back then it was a different world wasn't it this wasn't iwgp world champion naito this was a naito on tour i guess not what do they yeah, call it yeah i suppose um, that's very true where well, they get sent out to and learn. Yeah. The
0: young, young lion nighter. Yeah. Ex- exertion, sort of find that? out where, he, find out who he is really.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sent out on exertion or excursion or whatever they call it. Yeah. Um, following this match, we have a quick promo from Abyss backstage. Uh, he talks about being in some form of therapy and, his therapist is trying to stop him being so violent so he's made the promise that he's not going to use any weapons in his match coming up um i got kind he of sticks to that doesn't he <laughs> yeah i suppose <laughs> <laughs> um i got kind of mankind vibes from this promo just a watered down not quite as good version
0: yes i know i know exactly what you mean he has to sort of he has the voice cracks of an old mankind where he sort of yeah. drops drops and goes up high and the sort of it it's not a similar mask but it kind
1: of is i'd know that's like an awful description of it no no i get what you mean because it is very much kind of the mankind mask was was not a full face mask was it it was kind of like a half oh. and it's the abyss mask i suppose there are both similarities to it i see what you mean it's it is a bit of a sort of low-key mankind ripoff but then we go straight into his match which is a doomsday chamber of blood match where effectively it's it's you cannot pin your opponent unless they are bleeding so you need to get your opponent bleeding before you can get a decision an interesting twist i suppose on the old first blood stipulation um and again it's it's our now what fourth cage match of the evening with a different set of rules so i see they're trying to vary things up if that makes sense they're they're trying to keep it interesting aren't they yeah yeah i mean we'll get to that shortly because i'm not 100 sure if they achieve that throughout the whole show here is where i did kind of check out for the first time um seeing abyss coming down was quite cool because back in the day abyss was obviously a tna legend wasn't he so that music hits and he walks out and strikes that pose and so on um matt morgan is obviously visually incredible the guy who's legit like seven foot tall he's oh,
0: absolutely jacked as well
1: yeah and he's he, he just looks amazing i can't um, believe because did you know he was in uh he was in wwf before this yes yes he was and they gave um, him
0: they gave him a uh, stutter as his gimmick
1: yeah
0: a man who's oh. seven foot and built like an absolute brick shit house. yeah give him this stutter as a gimmick and no book him like an absolute monster you have the undertaker
1: and kane at that point D- like work with them and, and for a guy his size such as well a ball. he throws an incredible drop kick in this match and I suppose the charisma side of things, he was a little wanting on that side. And that's kind of what held him back, potentially. But chuck him with a manager, he can get around it. You know, that's, it's. That's, that's it, yeah. And I
0: mean, he's Matt Morgan's uh, finisher, the carbon footprint, which is essentially the big bicycle, a bro kick style kick. Yeah. Like it just, Jesus
1: Christ, it looks like it would hurt so much. Well, the thing is, you look at the guy. So, like, as we've said, seven foot tall. He must have I know, size eighteen feet or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> and yeah. massive he's massive long foot's legs. His size of my head. Yeah, and he just gets that sort of pump kick action and, and boom and oh, absolutely fantastic. But again, like I said, it, it, this match I kind of did check out a touch. I didn't notice that Abyss was bleeding so early. I don't know whether I drifted off or looked out the window or because I kind of got. I suppose, for want of a better term, I kind—I of, was kind of cage matched out by this stage. I was kind of like, okay, I've seen a few cage matches now, you know. But by the end of it, they had dragged me back in. Um, yeah, it was—it was quite a slow sort of start, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Abyss is bleeding, um, so that means obviously he—he he is susceptible to a pinfall or submission, now. I. Um, Morgan then throws the chair out of the cage so that. Abyss cannot use the chair to make him bleed which I thought was a really clever little bit of storytelling there that's, yeah, a, it was, that's a good little twist
0: It was, I, I thought that was that was quite a smart sort of move as well
1: Yeah, we get a ref bump then the, a bag of broken glass comes out uh, we get a very graphic um, I've got here written in quotation marks, glass shot because I didn't know how else to word it where Morgan has no sorry, Abyss has a big shard of glass and just drives it into matt morgan's forehead and yeah it, he he just stabs it in his face doesn't he really and it I just don't know, i don't you know, think there's any other way to describe it no it looks graphic as hell it looks and of course he comes back horrible. After he's yeah yeah um we then get a black hole slam uh a new ref comes down. there's a near fall here after this shot of glass in the head uh, and abyss' finisher there's absolutely no reaction from the crowd whatsoever. And I felt yeah. for I felt for Abyss and Morgan at this stage, because I think I think sometimes there can be certain limitations when you're two guys that size. Um but I think they're working around those brilliantly. And I think they're putting on by this point, they've dragged me back into the match. So they've done something right to be able to do that. And then they get no reaction from the crowd for that spot. I felt that was quite a shame.
0: Yeah, it was, but I think we can sort of I think we can link that to this being, what, the fourth or fifth cage match now? Yeah. Yeah. Just, you need something to break it up. And, I mean, they do definitely break it up by sort of, even just Abyss stepping out of the cage for that sort of five five minutes or so just made all the difference because it's just something different. The first four matches, no one's, no one's left the ring. Yeah. Yeah, he, so he does just, this when... Just having that little bit just was such a nice little bit of difference. Yeah, yeah, I suppose well, so. What essentially was, what, the fourth fourth cage I match think now?
1: this was the fourth now, wasn't it? Yeah, fourth cage match in for us. Um, Abyss leaves the ring because Dr. Stevie, his psychologist, uh, psychiatrist, sorry, has arrived, and this is played by Stevie Richards of the BWO fame. Um, he totally stops Abyss. bit about that as
0: well, by the yeah. way. Yeah
1: yeah and me <laughs> he, t- he stops abyss using a chair um yelling about him not using weapons and trying to help him with the violence side of his personality again the crowd don't tend to react very much to this at all despite richards and abyss really trying to sell this um abyss then grabs a bag out from under the ring which is full of thumbtacks now that gets a reaction the crowd are into that <laughs> oh yeah the abyss is trademark yes
0: but i mean um, going just going back to stevie richards this if i remember correctly this was the this was the big reveal of who the psychiatrist was that's because right. i see you hear mike tenet reacting like oh my god who is that it's stevie richards i can't believe it's stevie and i thought well the crowd don't really care no so that's that's a little bit of a shame
1: yeah, yeah, totally. It, it it didn't quite hit the mark, did it? Um, again, Stevie stops Abyss. Um, whilst this is happening, he gets a low blow by Matt Morgan. Then he is powerbombed onto the tax for the win. Um, it's almost like this is supposed to be, exactly as you said, Sean, to be honest, it's almost like this is supposed to be the big reveal of this storyline that's been building up on Impact Television. Yeah, the, the big plot twist. Yeah, and it's somebody that in theory wrestling fans would recognise and know, which would be again, um, help help get a reaction. And just nobody Especially in to Philadelphia, Philadelphia as well. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, good point. Exactly. In ECW country. Nobody really seems that bothered. No. No one really cares. Which is a shame. Which is a shame. Um again, this match, like I said, I, I kind of checked out for a bit early on, but by the end I was back invested again. It was okay. It wasn't Anything I'd rush back to watch again, um, which at the moment seems to kind of be the, the the regularity, the feeling of this card, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. There is, um Matt Morgan and a bit did have a better match than this, um, where it wasn't in a cage, and I think it was just a, I think it was a monsters ball match, which okay. is just a big weapons plunder force count anywhere match. And I remember that being very, very good, but this just didn't hit the mark no it it got it got there in the end, but it just especially with the big reveal, like we said, it just didn't really hit where
1: you wanted it to no exactly exactly um we then revert back to uh the multi person format again um we have. The TNA Women's Knockout Championship on the line as Awesome Kong defends against Taylor Wilde and Angelina Love, who is accompanied by Velvet Sky. Um, This goes just shy of seven minutes. I get the impression it was supposed to run a bit longer because of how the finish went down, but we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, Something I picked up on here that I thought was absolutely great, Awesome Kong I mean, Ocean Carmen was fantastic. Anyway, I was a big fan of her. She's just brilliant. Um, in the build-up to this, the beautiful people have given her a haircut, cut some of her braids. Now she can quite easily go off in the days in between and get that sorted out, to get that fixed, get new braids put in, or tied it up, or whatever she wishes to do. But for the purpose of the storyline, she's left them and she's come out with the braids still cut and frayed and looking a mess. I think little touches like that are great. You know, yeah, little touches are I, really, really. Yeah, important. I couldn't agree more.
0: Her coming out with the two braids which are just sort of frayed and the 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 look of just a pissed off dog. Just <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how else to describe the look that she had on her face. She looks like a rottweiler. And yeah. she's she's out for blood at this point. Kong is. Yeah, and she's got such a, a good, like badass sort of presence about her. Well she's scary, isn't she? Oh,
1: she's absolutely like... terrifying. Yeah. Um and you say she's out for blood when she, when she arrives that that's shown in the beginning of the match, because she's literally for the majority of this six minutes or so, she's, she's just bumping people over the place. Oh,
0: she's, she's kicking the crap out of everyone.
1: They, they're flying everywhere. Aren't they? These, these much smaller, uh, more petite ladies and literally just, just banging into the cage, into the rope, up and down on the canvas. um, something I've not seen before, which got a huge reaction from the crowd, the commentary and me sat at home. Kong at one stage goes to the top rope and tries some kind okay, of... Okay, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought this up. <laughs> yeah, it's like some sort of somersault splash or some kind of uh, swanton of or, or some description. I mean, first of all, that was weird seeing her up there. That was odd. Yeah. Sec- secondly, obviously she misses it and we discussed earlier, didn't we, Sean, that the match doesn't really have that much give. So there's an almighty crash but what a visual that was oh
0: yeah Uh, even though she misses it all my brain could think about was oh my god imagine if she hit it (laughs) just imagine the like the car crash that would have looked like especially on angelina love who's like i think five six and about a hundred pounds
1: yeah exactly
0: squashed her like a bug (laughs)
1: um Another little clever moment here that I really enjoyed. The beautiful people, uh, well, Velvet Skies on the outside, um, she assists Angelina Love in tying Awesome Kong's hair, her braids, through the cage. So that kind of takes her out of the equation. She cannot, you know, and they've tied loads of these braids. they are not just like done a little tiny knot, so there's loads of these braids. No, kind of they very, have, they've her. spent time tying, <laughs> Yeah.
0: I think, like half her hair.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and you think these braids are, are, are thick and strong as well. So she's really secured in there. And you can see when she's ragging her head around trying to get three, the cage wobbling, how, how good a job they've actually done of tying those oh, knots yeah. in. Um, I thought that was a great little touch because it kind of it kind yeah. of takes the biggest and scariest uh, competitor. And, and ultimately, I think probably the favorite for this match, if you look at it as, as a sporting contest, that kind of takes her out of the equation.
0: Oh, yeah, completely. Completely takes her out of the equation And every, you're watching Love and Wild, but every now and again, you'll just see Kong throw random kicks just to, just to hurt someone. Yeah. 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 Like it, it's such a nice touch as well, because you don't really see that in cage matches. And you think of like the amount of wrestlers with long hair and you very rarely see a spot like this.
1: Yeah. Very true. Very true. I mean, occasionally, I suppose, you see, um, especially back in the day, you know, late 80s, Jim Cocker Emotions and so on, you had people who bring out handcuffs to, to sort of keep an opponent secured somewhere. But yeah, using the hair, I don't think I've ever seen that yeah, before. So there, I, I thought that was really clever.
0: I've, yeah, it just, it made me think of a cage, when Bianca Belair gets into a cage match and someone just ties her massive braid to the cage
1: mm-hmm
0: like i'm i can't wait for that to happen
1: yeah that'd be excellent <laughs> um the finish here something goes wrong doesn't it let's be honest yeah we angelina have,
0: love gets legitimately knocked out by the it, looks of things yeah exactly. i'm not
1: sure what from though she gets I've, knocked out from the crossbody from the top rope ah, right, okay. taylor wilde goes up to the top rope um comes off with a with a very high and, and very good looking cross body to be fair. Angelina Love kind of half jumps into the air how, um, how Rick Rude used to take some cross bodies from Ricky Steamboat back in the 90s for for an example. So you're sort of catching each other in midair and there's a big crash and so on and it looks spectacular rather than the opponent having their feet on the floor and just being hit with a cross body. However they, I think they've kind of misjudged it. Angelina Love has gone and hit the mat, and uh, Taylor Wilde has come down, and I think it's her side that literally just comes down on top of Angelina Love's head and face, and she is KO'd. Yeah,
0: she's, you can tell by just the blank stare on her face that
1: she has no idea where she is. Yeah, it's quite uncomfortable as well. I mean, the um, Taylor Wilde goes for a cover on Angelina Love, not realising what's gone on. Her shoulder's not down, because Angelina Love, by this stage, I think is legit unconscious. Oh, um, uh, yeah. You get the one, the two, and Taylor Ward lets go of the pinfall, waiting for Angelina Love to kick out, which she doesn't, because she's just not with it. The referee has a little look, and they then, for some reason, and this is where I think WWE is fantastic, they would do something production-wise to help the referee, to help the wrestlers. TNA literally just go to the camera above the ring, so you can see her lead in her back, stars in her eyes. So she has no clue where she is. The referee is talking to her, and she's not responding because she's out for the count. The yeah. referee gets a message to Taylor Wilde, who applies uh, like, like a rear chin lock. And I'm guessing, yeah, she, just she, done she applies a
0: till- chin lock for a like a longer time than you initially think you'd be in that for.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and having
0: you can. You can see love sort of moving her arms as she sort of slowly regains you know where the, where the hell she is really
1: yeah i mean she she they're obviously trying to buy a bit of time and decide what they're going to do um but that chin lock again it just kind of it it needs mess because of what's happened, but it it felt so out of place because we had the the, the tying of the hair the the cross body. And the match was sort of picking up pace, and all of a sudden, mm. boom, chin lock while she led the but it was necessary, obviously. Um they're obviously you know, the referee's obviously telling them that, that this needs to finish, we need to go home this, you know, because she's she's not with it at all. No, um, she, it's it's unsafe for her to carry on, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we have Taylor Wilde stands up, approaches Kong sort of sideways on, gets one of these kicks that you mentioned uh, a few moments ago, Sean, and she ends up hitting the deck and Angelina Love covers her. And it's a very unconvincing, very weak finish to what was just starting to pick up a little bit of pace. But obviously the wrestlers, uh, safety comes first. Of course, um, Angelina Love wins the match, stands there, puts the belt in the air. The referee is literally at one stage, you can see grabbing her and guiding her to the camera. So she's getting the right shots and so on. And they very quickly cut backstage. So
0: yeah, I mean, I was, especially with this match as well, I was I was waiting for Kong to sort of get released from her braids and just run riot. But mm-hmm. it just, you, it never came. And I'm still a little bit upset by it. <laughs> I wonder if they had to cut the braids. Um, No, I think she did eventually get out, but it took, because like, she was trying to do it and then, I can't remember the name of her sort of valet mm. uh, manager, I want to say, but she was also helping. And then there were another, I saw another two sort of stagehands also helping and tied. So I think there are about four
1: people on these braids. at the Yeah, end but, that's, of yeah but that's what I mean. Is like, they've obviously tied her to, when she kicks Taylor Wilde for the finish at this stage, and then when the finish happens, she is thrashing around like a lunatic. Oh yeah, And she's still very much attached to that cage. The whole ring is moving with her. Um, and then they've got four people there trying to untie her. But they cut away. So I'm thinking, did they untie her? Or did they just think, you know, because there comes a point with, with with your hair and so on uh, when it's all tangled or tied up or whatever. There comes a point where you can't untie it and you just got to think sod it and get the scissors out. You know? So I wonder if they actually had to cut her hair to get her off.
0: Yeah, that is, that is a very good point. Um, I don't
1: know why I wonder these things, but this is just how my mind works. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I suppose cutting backstage is also sort of a better look than watching four people fail to untie someone's
1: hair. Yeah, I suppose it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, when we do cut backstage, we have Team 3D, which are the Dudley boys, um, surrounded by Philadelphia fans all chanting TNA and Team 3D and so on. Um, they're all, Bubba dr- Ray and Devon are drinking a couple of beers, talking about how Philadelphia is the jungle, quoting Guns N' Roses. Um, they refer to it at one stage as Killadelphia. Um, I thought that was such a corny line. Oh, yeah, very much so. <laughs> it was so bad. And what made it even worse was how the little blonde lass interviewing them reacted. Like it was the greatest thing ever. I was just like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, but this is all building to to our next match, which sees another um, new Japan IWGP title being defended on this TNA pay per view, as the TNA World Tag Team Champions Beer Money defend their titles, and Team 3D, who are the IWGP Tag Team Champions, defend their titles, title for title, um, in a Philadelphia yeah, Street up a badge Fight. In this. Sorry
0: everything's up for grabs in this match
1: yeah exactly um we have another little twist on the cage match um criteria or cage match stipulation where this is a philadelphia street fight they've decided that the cage is going to stay up and they're just gonna have the door open yeah so i was like okay fine um about halfway through I asked, I sort of had to turn to the wife and say, is it falls count anywhere then? Or is it just in the ring? Because I didn't know. Um, I don't think certain things were explained very well. But this, for me, is one one of the better matches of the night. How how did you find this?
0: Yeah, I I thought the same. This is actually the match I have the least notes for because I just ended up watching it instead. (laughs) But I was, yeah, I mean, Team 3D, uh, I mean, you just love them. How can you not love them? Yeah. And beer money, beer money were such a well oiled they knew exactly what they were. And I still hold out hope that Beer Money might turn up with Robert Rudin, WWE. I'm just I'm still hoping for a reunion, to be honest. I love yeah. I loved beer money back in the day.
1: I mean, James Storm turned it down, though, didn't he? He um, he was in NXT at one stage, and they offered him a contract. This is not long ago. It was only a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. he, he had like a, I don't know whether you call it a trial or a tryout. I'm, I'm unfamiliar with the correct term, but he was offered a deal, but it was basically a developmental deal in NXT, and he turned it down because he makes more money on the Indies. So maybe that's something they... Uh, you know, need to rectify offering more money if they want him. But I mean, at the moment they're doing the other going the other way, aren't they? They're, they're making cuts. And, um, also there's rumors about James storm being a bit lazy if it didn't suit him the day or whatever, but I was a big beer money fan. Um, and I want to sing TNA's praises here just for a moment that I think sometimes with things that get overlooked a little bit, I'm not saying it's every single wrestler or every single case, but there are some absolutely banging entrance themes in TNA. The oh beer, my God, yeah. The beer money theme is fantastic. Kurt Angle's theme, as much as I enjoy the whole you circus and so on, Kurt Angle's TNA theme is a belter. Um, AJ Styles' theme, later on when aces and eights were a thing, that's a great record, man. Not, not just yeah, a great wrestling theme, that is a great record. Abyss's, Abyss's entrance theme is
0: iconic yes. as well. Yeah, definitely. And... One one of my favorites is always Sting. Sting's TNA entrance theme is just so perfect. Yeah. It's kind just of, a gnarly guitar riff.
1: That's yeah. all it is. And it's it's perfect. It's kind of um I, I suppose I suppose you'd look at it as being not quite as hard and fast as a Megadeth or something like that, but leaning that way is that gnarly is a good way of putting it. Yes, yeah, absolutely great. Uh, also, even though it's got that annoying almost siren at the beginning, Jeff Jarrett's my world theme. I like that as well. Uh you know? yeah, huge fan of that. Huge yeah, some fan of that. great themes in, in in TNA around this time. Um, back to the uh, Philadelphia Street Fight. I mean, this goes. 15 minutes um it's it's the second longest match on the card i believe um we get a moment where basically the 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 competitors very quickly are fighting through the crowd Uh, and they're separated off they're paired off and going in different directions and we get a split screen showing Uh,
0: us right is that not the worst split
1: screen you have ever seen in your life uh no, because there's one later no? on on this exact same show that I think. Oh uh, yeah,
0: yeah, I know, <laughs> I know exactly the one you're talking. But yeah, for for two for two camera angles, they've sort of shoved it all on the left side and just had the lockdown logo on the right. And you think just use the space you've got. Yeah, I, I you I, couldn't I, really see anything, and. Again, like the one you just mentioned,
1: you see even less with that one. Yeah, we'll come to that shortly. Um, I think the only time I can really remember that being quite prominent in the past was in WCW. And I think it was the Nasty Boys and they were against, I want to say Public Enemy, but I might be wrong. It might be somebody else. Um, might be Foley and the guy who played the guitar, not Van Hammer, the, somebody else. I can't remember his name now, it escapes me. Um, Man Mountain in WWE, but I can't remember his WCW name. But they used oh, a split... um sc- yeah, no, it avoids me as well now. They used a split screen then, and that was kind of 95, 96 WCW. And it's better than what you see here. So if WCW, in all their craziness and carnage, and sometimes, let's be honest, just downright cluelessness do something better than you 10 years before you have a go, then there's something wrong, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, we have have the brawling through the crowd. It's quite chaotic. Um, Eventually, we end up back at the ring. I mean, the brawling is great. The crowd are massively into it, of course. But there's not much of anything going on. It's just punches and kicks as they're moving around the arena. Um, They arrive back at the ring, and we we have a double... Sorry, sorry, yeah. Just to
0: make a note on the brawl around the guy, there is a spot where I think it's I think it's Bubba Ray. He, I can't. I think it was James Storm. He gives an atomic drop on the railing. You get on the staircase. Oh yes, as they're coming um, down like, the stairs, aren't they? Yeah, they're coming as they're coming back down to the ring, and that just looked horrible. He kind of slid a bit with it as well, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he sort of he hit him, and then he sort of slid down the stairs. And I just thought that's that's gotta suck. That's got to be so uncomfortable. No. It has. I wouldn't answer like that. <laughs> again, yeah, like, that was, that was pretty much the only sort of big spot you had in
1: that whole brawl bit. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I totally forgot about that. You're spot on. Um, we end up eventually, fairly early on, I suppose, after the brawl, there's a double suplex on Devon through a table. That was quite spectacular. He even a long way there. That made me laugh, that, because... Did you see uh, Bobby
0: Roode follow through with it? No. So, so James Storm stays on his feet on the stairs. Okay. But Bobby, Bobby Roode, I don't know how he, how differently he hooked him, but Devon goes down, and then you just see Bobby Roode sort of fall after him. <laughs> <laughs> no. And they
1: cut, They showed a replay of it as well, which I thought was hilarious. I must have missed that. Oh, brilliant stuff. <laughs> um. We then get uh, Bully Ray bleeding quite early on here as well. Um, We get a Bubba Bomb off the top rope. My goodness, was that some impact. Oh, my
0: God, yeah. That was a... It looked gnarly, didn't it?
1: Yeah, that was, again, an occasion where you saw how little give there was in the ring, but they forced some give out of the ring with how hard they came down upon it, I suppose.
0: Yeah, that... That top rope bubble bomb, like we said, like that, that ring must have felt like concrete hitting that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, we get the get-the-tables spot from the Deadlies, um, not long after that, which is interesting as well because, obviously, from, from what I can gather, from what I heard on an interview that uh, Bully Ray did or maybe Devon did, they weren't allowed to, to use that term because it was owned by the WWE. So they had to, for the whole TNA run, count three, two, one point at the crowd and the crowd would shout, get the D get the tables because they weren't allowed to use it themselves. They get sued. Oh, right, I, I was didn't say. know that. Yeah. Hence the whole changing the name to team three D rather than the Dudleys. Um, bully Ray became sorry. Bubba Ray became bully Ray uh, and, and changed uh, all that sort of stuff because they didn't own the rights to any of it at this stage. Um, that's what I heard one of the, one of the Dudleys say anyway. Um, I quite like that pointing to the crowd though. Yeah. And it works well, doesn't it? Everyone's going to shout it anyway. So that's a clever little way of getting around. Yeah.
0: Like, and especially if Bubba's screaming it, you're not necessarily going to hear it. Whereas if you count down to three and point to the crowd, you're going to hear that no matter where you are in Philadelphia.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Storm hits his partner Rude with the door by accident, which ends up leading to a 3D through a table for the decision. Um yeah, that,
0: that was a hell of a door shot, though, I have yes. to say. I mean, the, he, the door
1: as well does not hold back. The door as well on this cage. I mean, we spoke earlier on about the, the, the sort of dimensions of the cage, I guess. First of all, it's hexagonal, so that's obviously a difference there. But we said as well about how, how the cage is very very high, but it's also incredibly tight against the ropes. There's no, there's no sort of you know extra yard or so between the ropes to the edge of the ring apron. That is very very tight. But the door is huge. The door is almost a whole section of. It's the
0: almost the whole side, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So that sort of swings, and it's quite a dramatic sight when you see that huge, massive door swinging in in such a way that it did, and led to the finish. Um, yeah, all in all, I thought this was I thought this was a great match. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, it was it was a bit of, it was a breath of life
0: in this pay-per-view which I think you we definitely needed. Yeah. Yeah, just think, a wild sort of 15-minute plunder brawl between two
1: like great tag teams. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Mate, I think you're spot on. The issue I have though is again, it's a multi-person match in a cage. We've seen a lot of that already. They have the street fight rules, which means obviously they're using weapons and taking bumps on things they shouldn't be and so on. Um, What follows is the actual Lethal Lockdown match. And the whole premise of the Lethal Lockdown match is it's a multi-person match where you can use weapons, which is what they've done, exactly done, in the match before. Yeah, it's like a condensed war games match, this, isn't it? Lethal Lockdown. Yes. Yes. For anyone listening who's unaware the way the lethal lockdown match in TNA worked was very much like Sean said. It's very similar to the war games premise in that they only have the one ring to start. Well, well, I say to start this one ring for the whole thing. Of (laughs) course, They only have the one ring uh, as, as a starting point for, for how the match works. They're in the cage, obviously two guys start. And then after five minutes, it's then a two-on-one and then somebody from the other team comes in and evens the score very much in a war games format however when it gets to everybody in the ring and they talk about in war games it's the match beyond and so on and you can you can make them submit or quit or however in this match when everyone's in the ring the roof of the cage gets lowered but hanging from the roof and this is quite a visual if you ever get a chance to see this hanging from the roof are a guitar, a road sign, a chair, a Singapore cage loads of weapons just hanging from the roof. So when the, when the roof comes down and sits on top of the cage to enclose the competitors, they've all of a sudden got access to all these weapons hanging down above them, almost like some sort of violent aerial picking mix, I guess, where they can just grab whatever they want to use on their opponents. I think it's really, really interesting. There's a big you know, WCW NWA fan. War games is a big thing for me. I think this is a really interesting twist on the war games format, Sean.
0: Yes, yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely agree with you. Having having the roof come down with all the weapons and then it being just a free for all is uh, is it's a nice little twist. And with uh, with AJ going onto the roof, which we'll probably discuss a little bit later. They often had like. A ladder or a table up there as well for just some mad stuff that you can see going on
1: <laughs> yeah yeah definitely um the i mean the notes i've got in front of me here it's, it's great seeing christopher daniels uh, in this stage in his career he's very trim he looks very athletic he's not got the knee injuries i think it's a shoulder injury that hinders him in, in present day as well he looks fantastic um he has the first five minutes against Kurt Angle and they put on some great stuff. I suppose this is the one, maybe the one negative I have of the whole kind of war games, um, blood and guts, a lethal lockdown kind of stipulation. You can't make, there can't be a decision until everyone's in the ring and, and the match beyond, so to speak, has started. So that kind of takes away the jeopardy for the first few segments of the match for me, I guess, because there is no yeah, pitfalls sort of or anything. you're sort treading water, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. Um, that, I think that's my one and only gripe, really, about this kind of, this kind of match format. Um, I thought it was A secondary gripe based more on TNA than the match format itself is, we, we mentioned it earlier on when we were looking at the tag match and the lack of space. This is two teams of four. So by the end of the match, you've got eight guys in this little hexagonal ring with a tall cage, which I think makes the ring look narrower because of the height of the cage in an optical illusion kind of way. And then you've got a roof on the cage. It does make the ring look smaller, you're right. Yes, yeah. And then you've got a roof on the cage, which I think adds to that. And the weapon's dangling dang. At one stage, you've got like, I mean, the the competitors, we'll just run through them quickly. Uh, Team Jarrett is AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, Jeff Jarrett, and Samoa Joe. Um, And they ultimately defeat Team Angle, which is the the main event mafia team of Booker T, Kevin Nash, uh, Kurt Angle, and Scott Steiner. At one stage, after the ring has come down, and the guys have swung a few chairs and a few kendo sticks and so on, you've got Kevin Nash sat in one corner. Steiner led on the floor next to him. In the corner next to that, you've got, I don't know, Booker T. And and it's almost like there's two guys in the middle of the match doing something. And then the guys on the outside are just waiting for their moment to stand up and go and take over from somebody else. Um, Almost like a sort of version of Piggy in the middle that we used to play as, as kids. And it's kind of... That kind of takes me away and I suppose it I suppose it makes perfect sense now why WCW and Jim Crockett Promotions used two rings because you'd yes. have more room to do things.
0: Yeah it it really does show that the ring isn't is just isn't big enough for eight men to successfully sort of work in it really because everyone I think the only way a match like this structure sort of works is something like a Royal Rumble. Yeah. Where you go over the top rope and that's it. You're eliminated. You're out. That's, that's fine. But especially with this being in a cage as well, there's no sort of way to escape. Cause usually in like a big multi-man match, you'd have people on the outside. You'd have people in the ring, but you can't do that here. You've just sort of got to crawl
1: to the side and wait. Exactly. And it does, you can get away with it. I think with one or two people. Um, but when you've got, effectively six people led around at the same time doing nothing i think it's really noticeable that there's that sort of flaw in the match format i guess one thing that did make me chuckle we spoke a moment ago about angle and daniel's start the match Angle is in a submission as the countdown clock starts and Booker T is next into the match who is part of Kurt Angle's team. Angle's in a submission hold. Now, obviously, he cannot tap out and cost his team the match yet because the match hasn't officially started until everyone's in, but he's in a, a, a submission hold screaming and yelling and um, and Booker T is in no hurry at all to help his mate. Yeah. He? <laughs> Booker T does not care. He's like, this is my moment. The lights are on me. This is my entrance. He does his little dance. Does his pose. Strolls. Down to the rim. Yeah. Strolls on dine. That made me laugh. <laughs> um, Scott Steiner. When he comes in, obviously at this stage in his career, Steiner is suffering with injuries and other uh, health issues, which mean he's not as mobile as he once was. But there's a cool Frankensteiner. I still Steiner. wouldn't say that to his face, though. Oh, definitely. I, I, I'm <laughs> hoping he doesn't. <laughs> um, Steiner, he, there's a fantastic Frankensteiner from the top rope, which always gets me when you look at the, the guy's age and size, and he's able to do something like that. It's still pretty spectacular to me um and then i've got a note here well we've got some joe backstage talking to somebody through a curtain um when he's supposed to be making his entrance i'm not 100 percent sure what that was all about um uh i i know who that man is okay
0: um so that man is taz ah and they brought they bring taz in as joe's manager and this mystery man that joe is sort of talking to because Joe's currently um, going through this nation of violence gimmick. Yeah, where, the smelly I mean, face. Paint, there's a it? promo earlier on where Joe's just brandishing this massive knife in front of Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, and just throwing open threats around, and you think, "All right, Joe, like, calm down." But Wasn't yeah, so this this man well? is Taz, and um. Joe would eventually sort of
1: team up with Taz and just go on this warpath, right? Okay, that does ring a bell now. Yeah, I mean, with regards to the big knife, wasn't somebody stabbed at one stage as well? Was it Scott Hall got stabbed or Joe got stabbed in the ring? Um, obviously, storyline wise, we're not, we're not talking attempted murder, yeah, and yeah, well, managed, yeah, but, but I, and then think, it just, yeah, I think story I think just never Joe went might anywhere. Have got stabbed. Yeah, and they never did anything with it. He was just back on telly a couple of weeks later, and it was never mentioned yeah. again. No. Brilliant TNA. <laughs> um, I've got a note here that says, obviously, about one of the later entrants, it simply just, his four words, simply just says, Nash looks like shit. Um, uh, yeah, he, yeah, he looked like a worn out piece of yeah. like shoe, didn't he, really? Yeah, I mean, obviously we know he's got injury problems, health problems, and so on, and he's doing a lot better now. He's had operations to sort of tidy that up and so on. But yeah, Nash looks like crap here.
0: Yeah, he well, he'd Nash had had a staph infection, which uh, just before the pay per view, which actually
1: nearly killed him. Yeah, they mentioned it on the commentary, don't
0: they? Yeah, and so Nash's elbow is all sort of bandaged up and braced up, but. Nash shouldn't have been in this match. (laughs) Perhaps I should have been a bit kinder to him there. If he nearly died, maybe I don't know. Uh, There we go. Yeah. But like, it's,
1: (laughs) he should have known that he shouldn't, he shouldn't be in this match. No, exactly. Um, yeah, again, six, six people in the ring and so on. is just, just too much. Really? Um, angle gets on the roof. AJ follows him. AJ then jumps through the big gap in the cage. Into the sort of everyone stood underneath, um, kind of milling around to a degree, yeah. Effectively to catch AJ, but when you get the replay of it, it looks like no one actually does. No, no, one,
0: AJ, <laughs> AJ hits
1: hard, but he just got did you notice as well as he jumps through the
0: cage, he smacks his arm. Oh no, um, I missed this. Yeah, so where the gap in the cage where he jumps through, he he smacks. I think his right arm on, like, the steel rods for the cage. And I thought, oh, my God. That's got to suck. And then,
1: yeah, there's no one there to catch him. He just lands on the ground. Yeah, they, like it's almost like if you imagine everyone stood in a circle, he's just gone and jumped into the middle of the circle. It was like, but everyone drops to the floor and sells it anyway. Now, again, it's like watching someone do a stage dive and then everyone just moving out of the way. Yeah, it was exactly that, yeah. And, again, if you, if you um i'm very critical of a lot of things wwe do but this is something you wouldn't get with them you wouldn't if that happened you would not get a replay showing how bad that was no never in a million years would the producer allow that to be shown on television again but tna they show it twice yeah (laughs) i don't know why they show it twice (laughs) and they show everyone falling to the floor selling as though aj's took them out when he's nowhere near him no yeah like TNA have th-
0: had this weird habit of showing, showing just the worst bits of a match twice. Because yeah. like er- earlier before this, they showed um, Bobby Roode like messing up that suplex to Devon, and then before that, they showed Angelina Love getting knocked the hell out. <laughs> like it's just yeah. I don't know if it's just a precedent that they set themselves, but they just show like the worst bits of a match. Just makes
1: no sense at all, does it? It doesn't. I don't, I
0: don't
1: get it. <laughs> um, we get uh, JJ, uh, sorry, double J, so Jeff Jarrett, grabbing his guitar. Um, he points at, well, no, sorry, before this, Jarrett actually hits AJ Styles by what seems like accident, but they're obviously teasing something there, aren't they? Um, Jarrett grabs his guitar, points at Booker T. And then he points at his teammate, AJ Styles. I'm assuming the crowd is supposed to be cheering yes or no here, but it doesn't seem like anyone really cares. Um, he then turns and hits Booker with it to basically get the decision. Um, again, no one seems to be following along really that well in the crowd with what's going on. It's almost like they're teasing a turn here or teasing Team Jarrett in fighting, I don't know, um, and then Bobby Lashley turns up, and again, nobody other than Kurt Angle seems that bothered.
0: Yeah, Kurt Angle was very excited about Bobby Lashley turning
1: up. Yeah, Bobby Lashley's... Possibly probably... the only one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kurt Angle was like, you know, celebrating. He was going nuts. It was almost like, you know, he's finally bumped into a guy who owes him money or something. He was, he was loving it, you know, but everyone else, including the crowd, they were just kind of like, all oh, right, and that was that. Yeah, pretty much. The
0: whole sort of Jeff Jarrett thing as well is, so basically just before this, before this match, they had on the previous episode of Impact, um, TNA back then, they had a match for who gets the advantage. You know how you would in a standard war games, anything yes. like that match. And um, I think Jarrett was the special guest referee. And obviously he's going against the main event mafia, but then I think he counts the three for them leading them to get the advantage. Right. So yeah. there's this whole sort of, well, whose side are you really on? And like, did you purposely screw a sort of thing throughout this pay-per-view, which again, which is why Joe brandishes this massive knife at him <laughs> uh, early,
1: earlier in the night. Fantastic. <laughs> um, uh Yeah, I mean, that kind of, I suppose, covers the undercard. Um, We see Lashley arrive, and and that's that for that match. And we go straight into promotion for our main event, which is the, again, Six Sides of Steel. Um, And we have Mick Foley against Sting for the TNA World Heavyweight title. And on the note of the World Heavyweight title, actually, um, how beautiful are some of the title belts in TNA?
0: Oh, okay, good. I I was going to bring this up after we uh, discuss, but yeah, the TNA titles are possibly some of the prettiest titles I've seen. Yeah. Like, the their women's, their knockouts title is like miles above anything WWE are pulling off at the minute with all their same sort of titles. They all look the same, really, yeah. don't they? And yeah, just have individuality in your title belts. It just...
1: Brings a ev- like just brings sort of flavour to everything. Yeah, I mean the AJ Styles is is what what title belt is that he's got? Is it the Legends uh, Championship or something like that? Yeah, so it was the TNA television
0: title. Okay. And then Kevin Nash won it as part of the main event Mafia and renamed it the TNA Legends title. Yeah, now that is a bloody nice
1: looking belt. Oh, it's beautiful, really, isn't oh. it? Bright and you, red and gold and just Yeah, and it's sort of you can see a little bit of the OWGP United States title for, from from yes, present day yes, in, can, in yeah. that. And a um, little bit of like the AEW TNT title as well, sort of yeah, mixed yeah. in there as well. And you've got the um the TNA world title is is a fantastic looking title. And then in later years they obviously make a few changes to this. And I think everyone they virtually everyone they bought out was again a fantastic looking belt. I like the I like the world title to have a level of size to it. Almost my favorite title belt, my favorite title belt of all time, is um, the big gold world championship. Brought in in '86, Ric Flair held it. You know, used in the NWA and so on. That was a big title belt. That's my favorite belt of all time. So when I see other title belts like the AEW Championship or the IWGP title before they changed it recently, and then these TNA belts being of a certain size, that really ticks certain boxes for me, you know?
0: Yes, it, do, it does for me as well. I, I fully agree that the main the main title needs some sort of gravitas to it. Um, yeah, it's kind of one of my sort of nagging points about the AEW women's title as well cuz that just looks it looks like a toy to me personally yeah. Yeah, it's so have... small and especially when like nyla rose won it yeah. and it like it just it's so tiny it looks like an actual belt yeah
1: which it's just, um it's they need just to been changed that. doesn't it it's just been changed
0: yeah, Just but all they've done is put
1: it gold instead of silver. That's... Yeah, it's a little bit bigger. Um, and I think part of the issue with the initial AEW women's title belt was that it was a very small main plate at the front. But yeah. then they had this kind of curve added to the plate, which I think made it look smaller in a way. The new version has still got that, but not as prominent. I think it's it may not be perfect, but I think at least it's a step in the right direction maybe.
0: Yeah, it, it is. I don't know if they built that belt with Riho in mind because Riho is obviously quite a small, petite woman. Yes, and they need to, to sort <laughs> of match her aesthetic. But yeah, it just—I think it just needs a bit of a revamp. Again, personally, I think it just needs to be bigger.
1: Just—it all flies the under TNA the radar. Bell. Just bring back the TNA Knockouts title. Use that. No, oh, uh, yeah, I'm happy with that. <laughs> it's a great looking title belt um, speaking of the great looking title belts Sting here when he comes out to the ring he looks every inch a superstar doesn't he that oh my God, face yeah. paint looks fantastic um, The he's trim he looks in great shape the title belt looks amazing that purple robe he's, he just looks like an absolute mega star
0: yeah he does I think this might be my favourite version of Sting Okay. I think TNA Sting is my favorite version of Sting. As much as I loved watching him sort of grow in WCW back in the day, Sting just having this was well, he just has this presence that yeah he is this main event and by all means he brings everything to it. Like you said with the with the purple robe and the big entrance
1: theme and ah oh, yeah Sting Sting's one of my favorites of all time. Did you, um, I suppose we're going to digress a little bit here, but there is a point to it, so bear with me. Did you um, see when Sting debuted for AEW? Do you watch AEW on a regular basis? Yes,
0: I do. It's probably one of
1: the only weekly wrestling shows I watch
0: nowadays. Okay. Um, But yeah, I I did see. And yeah, he seemed like a megastar there again. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I, I'm, I'm a huge Sting fan. I enjoyed Sting in in TNA. Obviously, old school WCW fans of so Sting's like one of my guys when he debuted in the WWE. Oh my word! He walked out of the Survivor Series. I was watching it live, and I was just like, why? Um, but then that was it. We all thought he was done, wasn't it? You know? Um, yeah. So, spe- while we're talking about Sting, have you seen him at Double
0: or Nothing? Yes. What like? D- I did not expect anything out of that from Sting. I mean, what is he? 63 years of age.
1: Yeah. He's about 63, 64. I think. And he's hitting cross bodies off the steps to the outside. And... it's the power bomb he took on the oh. ramp and then just pops
0: up like nothing
1: happened. Oh man. Sting's fantastic. Oh, Absolutely. Absolute legend. But I mean, going back to his AEW debut, um, my wife obviously knows how big a WCW fan and a Sting fan I am. Um, my daughter also knows, she knows of Sting through watching old episodes of Nitro with me and, and she's like quite into Sting and she's, I got signed you know, pictures of him and, and you know, dotted around. I got various picture, signed wrestler pictures in the house and so on so she knows who Sting is from that as well. Um, my wife knew of Sting's debut on Dynamite before we watched because obviously when it airs um, it, here in the UK, it, it airs through the night. So we watch Thursday night when my daughter gets home from school. That's that's our thing. She you know she gets home from school straight away, changes into her jammers, um, gets her a little teddy bear, and we sit and watch AEW. When, you know whether I get home from work or she gets home from school, whichever one is the latest. Um, my 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 wife knew Sting debuted because she'd sit as like a spoiler online during the day. I had no idea. So when this happened, it was legit a surprise because I did not expect it. Now, my wife, my wife said to me, that's the most excited she has seen me. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I hope she's filmed this. <laughs> no, she hasn't. No, thank oh, you. such a shame. Um, the, the only time that I've been, I've had that, a similar reaction was when AJ Styles debuted in the Rumble, apparently. Um, but my daughter... Has never seen me like that. My my wife can remember certain things with CM Punk coming back, um, AJ Styles in the rumble, and so on. She, she, you know, because I've been with my wife. What it's, it's actually as we're recording, we've been married nine years today. so wedding anniversary today. Oh, and we've well, been together, congratulations. Well, well, thank you. Um, she deserves the congratulations. She is. She needs to be incredibly tolerant. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> but we've been together m- over thirteen years. Um. So we've watched a lot of wrestling together. So we've seen various things and so on this is the first time my daughter has seen me almost i'm 40 years of age and i kind of uh, i kind of track back to being 12 years old yes it's that that childish joy isn't it that he just brings out of you and then hearing tony Schiavone, it's sting and but i mean the the music starts that guitar that starts my initial thought is what's going on here because I don't know who it is, of course. My wife, straight away, she's got one eye on me because she knows what's happening. <laughs> um, and the snow's coming down, and I'm thinking, okay, this is kind of cool. This is someone's debut. And then the crow appears on the, on the big screen and makes that noise. And my, I literally stood up from my sofa in the middle of my front room and went, no fucking way. No way. And then Sting, the word Sting appears, and he walks out. And I think I kind of half screamed. <laughs> <laughs> um so i mean my little girl sat i look at me like dad are right. all right <laughs> it, honestly it made me feel like i was 12 years old again um I, i'm just absolutely fantastic so yeah Sting in tna as well huge huge fan of him um he was going into this match however apparently carrying an injury um and they needed to get the title off him was, oh, i didn't know that Well, it's what I read after I watched the show, um, just sort of doing a little bit of background research and so on. The main reason was I I wanted to find out exactly what happened with Angelina Angelina Love earlier before we spoke. But then it came up about Sting apparently was carrying an injury and they needed to get the world title off him was this one report, Um, which I think might might explain why this match, again, after the opening couple of minutes excitement, it really does feel like it drags on a bit.
0: Yeah, there is a sort of lull in the middle. But yeah. then, I mean, Mick Foley definitely picks up at the end by just doing some mad Foley
1: shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of describing it. Um, there's also, I think, quite a clever bit of storytelling here as well. With Foley has said that if it's a cage match, you, you don't escape through the door. You go over the top of the cage. That's what he said is what a proper cage match is. So he's arranged for the door to be locked up so you can't get through it however he takes a couple of bangs to the knee very early on and then struggles to climb the cage so his own insistence on having the door locked is now a hindrance to him because he can't manage to climb the cage and he's yelling at the referee to open it and getting told no and so on although that was a real clever little uh clever little nuance in the match you know yeah it
0: was it was a, it was a great little bit of storytelling and then what Foley then proceeds to do to be able to rectify that and try and get out the cage, again, like I said, is just mad Foley shit.
1: Are you, are, you, are you referring to the cameraman?
0: I am referring to the, that
1: poor cameraman. Talk us through that moment then, Sean, because that was really quite spectacular, wasn't it?
0: It was. So obviously this cage has got holes where the cameraman could put the camera so you get a clear view for everyone. Watching at home, and out of nowhere, Mick Foley just runs and just drop kicks his cameraman through <laughs> through through the hole and just puts his cameraman on his ass. And I don't know if you thought this, but to me, that came out of nowhere. Yeah, like it just I'd like they were just doing stuff, and then Foley just turns and just nails this cameraman. And yeah, I mean, I po- I popped so loud for that. Yeah, it was just it was hilarious more than anything else. And And then then he proceeds to try and climb out, climb out this hole which looked quite jagged because obviously they've just cut a hole in this like cage. So there's yeah, there's bits just sort of off it, and that's got that's got to hurt. And then he's screaming, he's screaming at this cameraman to give him his barbed wire bat, which is quite honestly, precariously placed right next to the cage. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure why it's there. I'm not sure if he came out with the bat and put it there. But it's just right there, apparently. So, <laughs> so he's screaming at this cameraman to pass him the bat. And Mick Foley being Mick Foley, doesn't think, oh, I'll grab it by the handle. He grabs it fully by the barbed wire because he's just mental and pulls it in and then he just goes
1: nuts for a bit with this barbed wire bat. Uh, see, I saw that slightly different, you know. I saw that as maybe, because he gets put in the scorpion here, doesn't he? Yes, he um, does, yeah. He, he's put in the scorpion and he's climbing through the hole in the cage whilst in the scorpion. I think that, you mentioned about where the bat is. I think it was supposed to be closer or I think Foley is supposed to have got Further out of the ring, because it makes zero sense for him, for the cameraman who he's just drop kicked to give him the the bat. And yeah, like it today, tro- it was so odd. I think the commentary team covered
0: it very, yeah, very well. With saying that the cameraman's like intimidated by Foley. Yeah, I was about to say, say that. I think that at is. this point, Foley was an executive shareholder. I don't know if it was just in storyline um but he was an executive shareholder in TNA so they sort of played that up and said oh he's it's like higher up intimidation that Foley's using
1: yeah yeah, they covered that very well. Mike today did well there, but I don't, I get the impression that he was supposed to reach and grab the bat himself. I could be completely wrong. This is just guesswork from from my part, but I get the impression that that was what was supposed to happen. He's supposed to reach and grab the bat. Um, when the cameraman passes him the bat, I think the cameraman doesn't quite grasp the situation because he's not going to pick it up by the barbed wire end, is he? Let's be honest. He's going to hold yeah. it by, by the handle, but then... The same as when you pass someone a hot cup of tea. You've got the handle. You're passing them the hot end. He's kind of doing the same thing. Um, I don't think any of that. Again, I could be completely way off. And, and I think it's in Foley's fourth book that this match is covered. So maybe i need to go and look up what what's discussed in that. But um, I think maybe Foley wasn't supposed to get the cameraman to pass it. And maybe he's supposed to reach it himself. But again, that's just just what I picked up or maybe I'm completely wrong there but uh, no I mean that definitely does make sense um, We, the whole storyline of Foley having the bad knees uh, and not being able to climb the cage kind of that gets thrown away quite quite you know quite clearly towards the end because you know Foley then is able all of a sudden completely out of the blue to climb the cage even though he's now been in a scorpion death lock for a while hit with a barbed wire bat a few times um I mean, yeah, because Foley's even doing his patented running knees. Yes. As well to sting. And
0: you think, well, isn't your knee supposed to be hurting here?
1: Yeah, it kind of took away. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's it's one of those things where I, I try and look at wrestling I, I I mention it all the time on the show, and people probably get bored of hearing it, but I use my little girl sometimes as a bit of a muse when it comes to watching matches and she wasn't actually with me today for this but i try and picture what she would see as an 11 year old if she would pick up on that because i think sometimes i think sometimes i've seen so much wrestling in my life and talk about it and and how it works and so on so much that sometimes i see things that maybe a more casual or younger fan might not see so maybe it's my grumpy old man eyes have picked up on something there but it's interesting that you've seen something similar yourself you know
0: yeah no i i totally totally agree with what you say i think the older you get the more you sort of overanalyze what you're actually watching instead of just getting lost in the moment yeah yeah definitely i mean it takes some matches still do and uh, oh yeah some matches definitely still do but you uh especially um with me as i'm training as well i pick up on certain things where i think oh i would have done that differently and you start over analyzing matches where you just kind of want to sit and watch it yes i I kind of
1: moment i've I've kind of got i I suppose i've got my sort of podcast mind sometimes when i sit and watch a show um obviously this tna pay-per-view with yourself um I'm covering uh, a particular match. I've got to watch back a particular match tomorrow afternoon for the recording of Chain Wrestling. um And then I've got lined up something with um Joshua Goodwin, uh, David Ean, all different pay per views I'm going to sit and watch and then make notes on and then talk about with these guys. When I do that, I'm very much looking at it from that standpoint, the sort of criticalness in my head standpoint. When I'm watching something new or something I haven't seen for many years, it can be easy for me to just drift off and make no notes because I'm enjoying it. Um, I tend to find it. If it's something that I really enjoyed, I've not made many notes. If it's yeah. something that absolutely sucks, I've not made many notes because either way, whether it's brilliant or awful, it kind of draws me in. Cause I can, yeah, you're either lost in the moment or you're sort of daydreaming, thinking of something else. Well, or even looking at it and thinking, I can't believe what I'm seeing, you know? Yeah. If it's, <laughs> If it's somewhere in the middle, I tend to find it easier to sort of make notes of what's going on and be able to then discuss it with with people such as yourself. Um, This match here, that was really prominent to me, the the issues with his knees, because I thought that was a brilliant bit of storytelling at the beginning. That just disappeared. And even as we get to the finish now, um, Foley's racing. Well, sorry. First of all, Sting gets split open and he's bleeding. Um, And to me, I don't know if, if... you saw this or you agree with me to me, it actually looks like the referee is the guy who blades him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I did notice this. I was, I was going to ask whether or not you noticed this as well, but yeah, there was a very clear shot of the ref blading sting.
1: Yeah. Again, something that producers for WWE would not have on screen. They would be looking at something else. They'd be looking at yeah, signing they, the right? They'd, they'd be cut away on... something, but exactly. It was very much fixed on the ref, just blading sting and it was to be honest it was, again it was my wife sharon who who noticed that before me she pointed it out to me and i was like oh my god yeah that's like you know um and then from there we basically have a race <laughs> the, the, the two competitors basically race up the cage and down the other side and foley bad knees and all couldn't climb the cage a few moments ago is quicker than sting he's like, we- like
0: a cat isn't he
1: Yeah, he's he's just gone, and he drops from a decent height as well. Again,
0: on that drop, that that drop, where I think he catches like his knee on something, or he catches his boot. But he hits one leg hits first, and then the other sort of falls with him. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't look a comfy landing. But then I suppose no, it doesn't because he sort of turns as one leg hits, and then he just sort of lands on his side on the outside. You think, oh god, yeah
1: yeah um and and then that's that mick foley is the new tna world heavyweight champion and very quickly the show goes off the air the finish to me seems to come out of the blue i don't know if they were running when you look at the the length of time this pay-per-view is on for it seems like for effectively a a two-hour 45 or three-hour pay-per-view this is cutting it very close to that mark So maybe they were running out of time. I'm not sure. Yeah,
0: I'm not sure either because it it does seem to just sort of veer off.
1: Yeah. And just like, all right, see you later. That was the show. Completely out of the blue there. One minute they're on the deck, Sting's bleeding, Foley's trying to climb up, pull himself up the ropes and get on the cage. And then all of a sudden, it's a race. Foley's won. Um, We'll see you on the next episode of Impact sort of thing, out of the blue. So I wonder if they were time restraints there i'm not sure but yeah that kind of concludes our look at tna lockdown 2009 sean um as always (laughs) yeah definitely definitely i mean i I think there was enough there for, for me to enjoy um but we'll we'll go with your thoughts first if you could uh as we normally do on the SJP wrestling pod, we use an old school, um, school grading system. So a, B, C plus whatever. Um, what grade would you give this pay-per-view and, and why, I suppose. Um,
0: I think, I think I'd give it either a C plus or a B minus. It's sort of in between that two because it is overall, it is a kind of solid B pay-per-view as you would expect. I mean, there were high, there were highs and lows. The lows being quite flipping low, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, the lethal lockdown match is always interesting, and it's always fun. It's not the best best lockdown match I've seen. There are ones which uh, have way more fun in them. I mean, there were there were some great sort of storylines and tactics, especially with stuff like uh, Awesome Kong's hair. Which is a neat little trick and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So there, there was stuff that I definitely enjoyed during this match, and uh, the Team 3D Beer Money match and the Machine Guns match as well. Um, I mean, just watching old TNA pay per views just it made me feel a bit nostalgic, really. Yeah, more than anything else. Just especially with all the old entrance scenes, which I loved and all of that like we've discussed really so yeah i think overall a a c minus or a c
1: plus or a b minus somewhere in that ballpark i think yeah i I think that makes a lot of sense and i'm kind of similar with the grade i've got written down here um i think nostalgia plays a huge part in in how i felt watching this match uh sorry watching this event as well um it was great seeing Sting look as fantastic as he did. It was awesome seeing the motor-seat machine guns. Um, just TNA in general. and As you said, the music, Mike Tanay on commentary, the whole, the whole feel for the company around this time. The nostalgia factor really kept me watching. Um, plus points, again, seeing Sting is always a plus point. Um, the Lethal Lockdown match was a bit messy, a bit of carnage. Um, a bit of sitting around and a bit unorganised, but there was enough there to keep me interested. I think the Dudlers versus Beer Money was probably just shaved it as match of the night, maybe. Um, there was also, I think, a few, a f- quite a few negatives. I-, I struggle with the pay-per-view being... Um, what do we have eight matches on the show in the end? And they were all in a cage. I understand that's the theme of the pay-per-view, but it still makes it difficult for me to in- see the cage as a special, a special thing when there's so many of them. Um, so many multi-person matches kind of took away from, from some of the things that I suppose they were trying to push, but there was enough there to keep me interested and enough there for me to enjoy. So i think i'm gonna go a smidge lower than you and just give it a flat c um not something i'm gonna rush back to watch again but something i'm gonna look back on and think okay that was all right so yeah i think i think a c for me suits sean
0: yeah i think that's a that's fair enough grade
1: yeah okay um before i let you go sir it would be absolutely fantastic if we could uh, get in contact again and rearrange for you to come back on. I mean, I hear a great deal of passion in your voice for TNA Wrestling. Perhaps we can get you back on and uh, review some more TNA from different eras, different events, different oh, shows. Lo- yeah, I'd love to look at some more TNA stuff. I think that would be great. For someone who who is uh, obviously enjoyed it as much as yourself first time round, Talking TNA with you, I think, it would be great for me as well from a nostalgia standpoint. So, we'll definitely arrange something again very soon. Um, Sean, before you do depart, can you please let everyone listening know whereabouts they can find you online, my friend? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at the underscore
0: king cage. If anyone wants to give me a follow and just sort of see what I'm up to, I am also on Twitter, but I very rarely use that nowadays because you know, Twitter's just full of evil bastards. <laughs> um, but that is at King Cage Six as well. But I'm okay. I'm more prominent on Instagram more than anything else.
1: Okay, so the first sorry, the first link you gave is your yeah. Instagram, yes. Yes,
0: the first link is my Instagram.
1: Yeah. Uh, sorry, just uh, re- just re- repeat your Instagram, and that's the one you're on the on the most often.
0: Yes, it is.
1: It's yeah. Uh, it's the underscore king cage. Okay. So that's the best place to find you on Instagram with that. But you also do have a Twitter that you use on occasions. No problem. Um, You can find me at SJP words on Twitter. Uh, You can find the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at sjp wrestling pod um also have a look out for my other show chain wrestling that's mainly on twitter as well at chain underscore wrestling there always a good laugh recording that with my buddy Magsy. um and this week i'm being thoroughly stitched up and being made to watch a match i've avoided for many years so screw you wrestling twitter for doing me dirty like that (laughs) um (laughs) but uh yeah sean thank you so so much for your time again this evening i've had a brilliant time going back some however many years to look at some crazy tna action um thank you so so much my friend thank you very much for having me on and it's always a pleasure i look forward to it again and to everybody else as always thank you for listening